An excerpt from Bell and the Dragon, an apocryphal text. Now in that place, there was a great dragon that the Babylonians revered. The king said to Daniel, you cannot deny that this is a living God, so worship him. Daniel said, I worship the Lord my God, for he is a living God. But give me permission, O king, and I will kill the dragon without sword or club. The king said, I give you permission. Then Daniel took pitch, fat, and hair and boiled them together and made cakes, which he fed to the dragon. The dragon ate them and burst open. Then Daniel said, see what you have been worshipping. how does that even follow but i don't know um, and if anyone ever says like christianity and witchcraft don't exist it's like i'm sorry this is a witchy story like also okay so technically it could be like a serpent the text does but i'm like fuck no there are dragons in the bible it's official (laughs) um anyway hi i'm april little i'm anna dowie and on this episode of reclaim the garden we're having a sort of introduction to the apocrypha um, and I guess we're going to start by defining what that is. So apocrypha can kind of mean like one of two things. Um, and so there are the books that are included in the Septuagint, an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. And also the books are included in the Latin Vulgate, a text that many Catholic Bibles use as their primary source. Um, like when translating the Catholic Bible in English, they use the Latin Vulgate. Um, and I say Old Testament instead of Hebrew Bible because we usually use that term on this show, um, because the Apocrypha are not in the Hebrew Bible, only in the Christian Old Testament. Um, And so these texts are considered sacred scripture. Well, some of them, even then it's like a bit contentious about like which Apocrypha are considered sacred scripture by each tradition, but Catholics, um, Eastern Orthodox Christians, and also different types of other Orthodox Christians. Um, And Episcopalians also technically consider the Apocrypha to be scripture, but Really? That it cannot influence doctrine. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's like the, the Anglo-Catholic part of the Episcopal tradition, like the, so with, the, with the Catholic, just how they like sort of also take a middle position on like what communion means. Like they think that something, something happens more than just a metaphor, but also they don't believe like it literally happened, like becomes Jesus' body and blood. So yeah. Episcopalians are like, yes, this is scripture. And I think it even can be read in the lectionary but it just can't like influence doctrine yeah Um, and i think it i was also reading like in lutheranism as well there are aspects of the apocrypha that are utilized as well but again i think similarly it's not considered like it's canon but it's not you know yeah like scripture but not quite as as scripture it's it's the (laughs) b-sides of scripture yeah um but apocrypha can also refer to uh, when we're talking about like what didn't make it into the New Testament, um, influential early Christian texts that did not get canonized, um, such as the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Acts of Paul and Thecla, and the Martyrdom of Polycarp. Um, and yeah, like I mean that I mean the canonization of the Bible is a lot more complicated than i feel like we were taught in evangelicalism and that like they were like oh yeah every text they had to choose had to be the most authentic and had to prove authorship but as we can see from some letters of um quote-unquote paul we can see that not all the books that were canonized had necessarily um authentic authorship exactly (laughs) and it's i I was always taught like that oh like 
because you know in especially in evangelicalism catholics are so demonized or it's like oh yeah they're like they, they added books to the bible and i'm they like added okay books. actually it's kind of the other way around that like they wanted first. to take books like, out yeah like the early <laughs> churches were orthodox and catholicism it wasn't like again it's always that thing of like an evangelicals in evangelicalism and it's, it's like, like yeah they were although yeah. they weren't in the the jewish canon of the hebrew bible they were included for whatever reason in this greek translation um mm-hmm. and i mean i guess because they weren't included in the jewish text even like um catholics say that the texts are deuterocanonical so like yeah or, like intertestamental um so yeah um and uh also this isn't we're not calling this like a bible dike deep dive because we're talking about texts that are like not from our protestant tradition so we don't have like well i guess we are coming with like some preconceived notions in the sense that like the uh, the protestant and particularly evangelical idea that they aren't scripture that they're like maybe even bad um yeah we would be very curious to hear from any listeners who are currently or ex-Catholic about their experience with these texts. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're just looking at this content anew and discussing like historical cultural context and I guess our first sort of reactions. And definitely we are using lots of Wikipedia and just kind of talking about the text, not necessarily <laughs> going into a lot of interpretation because, you know, um, Anna's finishing grad school and I'm just trying to enjoy my summers. So. Yeah, like we made the mistake, I don't know if it was a mistake necessarily, but back in January when we were trying to plan the year oh out, God, loosely, we were like, so we postponed this episode a bunch. Uh, <laughs> it, it just kind of became that thing of like, I'm the least busy I'm going to be, as are you. It's like, we're still busy, but it's the least amount of busy so it's like might as well get it done now and the apocrypha and doing all that research it's it's a lot. hard it's a lot it's it's like because it's also a thing of like where do i even start with all of this yeah especially when you get into like literally when you talk about just early christian texts that didn't make it into the canon there's just like tons out there and tons of like just looking on websites it's like the non-commodity library and like the it's there were so many texts going around and so it's interesting yeah. to think about like what was unique about the text that actually made it in um i mean part of it was virality like paul's letters went viral which is interesting exactly Um, i know that those are the ones that were included um first time i encountered the old testament apocrypha was when i got the uversion bible app which by the way you should get the you should get the r bible bible app not uversion because that's owned by like a big mega church um yeah and I was just searching through different Bible translations, and out of curiosity, I clicked on, like, a Catholic edition and just noticed that there were all these books that I had never heard of. And I was, like, on on my notes, I just wrote question marks. Because I just was like, what are these? <laughs> um, yeah, because I had never heard of um, Sirach and the Wisdom of Solomon and Maccabees, all the Maccabees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the first time I heard of the any of the Apocrypha was... Okay, there was this book written years ago called Change of Heart, and it was by the author Jody Pico. Um, she also wrote My Sister's Keeper. It's a lot of like court courtroom dramas, doesn't matter. But there's one where it's kind of like there's kind of a parallel Jesus narrative to it, and they kind of talk about the Gospel of Tom- of Thomas and the Gnostic mm-hmm. Gospels and the and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and like it's a big melodramatic book. Like that really has it's not a big part of the story but i think that was Mm -hmm. the first introduction to oh there are more books in the bible than or potential Mm -hmm. um stuff that was written during that time that aren't included in the bible we have today yeah for me with like those um 
non-canonical text when I took intro to New Testament in undergrad um part of one of our assignments was to do like a group presentation on one of the non-canonical texts and so I did Acts of Paul and Thecla um we will get into that a bit later because we're going to cover Old Testament Apocrypha first here Mm -hmm. so um I guess we'll just talk about yeah like our experience of so there were like additional psalms found in Syriac manuscripts which I thought was really interesting and like yeah um some of them were possibly written like in the in the AD even um which is interesting um as in sorry as in like common era ce um, yeah again we're, that's um, that's what we've grown up being told it takes a while to kind of undo <laughs> the anno domini thing mm-hmm. yeah um and um yeah there's psalm 51 which i guess is supposed to be i think it's like a supposed to be like a psalm of david after he fights goliath which is interesting because i don't think there's anything oh. actually similar to that in the other of david psalms okay Bible. interesting um uh, there are also Greek additions to the Book of Esther. Like, there are just, the version in the Septuagint has a bunch of, like, additions to it. Yeah, and there are also, like, additional parts of Esther. And some of it, I can see what, I'll put it this way, some of it's kind of filler content. It's, like, mm-hmm. Mordecai's prayer, Esther's prayer, the decree that was, like, sent out. It's, like, I think there's definitely a cool historical aspect to it. Mm-hmm. But I can also see why, like, if you're trying to tell a story with a with a like you know pretty decent through line like i could see why certain things Mm -hmm. might have been (laughs) cut for time i guess or cut for ink um whenever we do do a bible deck deep dive on that there's definitely aspects of like satire and humor in that story so maybe you know they had to clean it up a little bit to keep that sort of idea (laughs) yeah exactly that was very interesting because again it's not it's not anything that we don't kind of already know or weren't already taught in esther but again it just adds a little bit more historical context to it mm-hmm. the other um stuff that i found there was the prayer of manasseh which mm-hmm. is mentioned in the bible um it is mm-hmm. mentioned in like i want to say one of the chronicles um basically he's this king who's given into idolatry and he's having a rough time of it and he prays to god saying like lord i am you know, but a, but a worm, like, please forgive me. Like, as you forgive those who love you, um, please forgive me a sinner. And God does. And then Manasseh's like, psych. And he goes back to kind of doing what he was doing. Um, <laughs> and again, this prayer is mentioned in the Bible. This King is mentioned in the Bible, but there is a whole text of this prayer, um, which was very interesting to read through. Yeah. I'm going to sort of skim the, um, letter of jeremiah and it's very i mean it definitely is like you read it and you're like this isn't really the style of the prophets but it's sort of still like prophetic in a sense that it's like warning against idolatry i guess Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not in the poetic style prophets but yeah yeah and speaking of idolatry um the story that you started off with with um the dragon Mm -hmm. slash the serpent which i personally in my interpretation i think it's very funny if it is just a lizard like it's this really small lizard that was just blown up like look at your idol now but also i could see how it would be very cool that it's a dragon but similar to that there is a story of daniel um seeing this idol that the people are like feeding food to it and drinks Mm -hmm. to it and they're like see the idol like eats our food and is going to answer our prayers and daniel's like 
I don't think so. And so he puts like ash on the ground. Um, Oh, yeah. Which is funny because it's very similar to like when parents try to get their kids to believe in Santa Claus and they do like the Mm -hmm. footprints through the snow. (laughs) Um, And so he puts ash on the ground and then they're like, oh, see, like he ate again. And Daniel's like, haha, wait a minute. And looks at the footprints and they are the same size feet as the king's wife and children. Um, so they've been like going in and eating the food and then they're all put to death. Um, praise be. You mean the priest's wife? The priest, sorry. Yeah, the priest. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. The king is, didn't kill his own wife in this particular story, I guess. But... I know. I mean, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of kings that kill a lot of wives. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then, but there's also like, and I'd be curious, I don't quite remember the, the story in the canonical book of Daniel, but there is in this like short, but so Bell and the Dragon is like the, I guess, apoc- the title of the apocryphal book. And um, it um, it includes, yeah, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And it includes the prophet Habakkuk, which is yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Habakkuk is a canonical prophet book. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm interested as to see whether, how that compares to the other version of Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then another book that I found was, it's called Sirach. Um, it's also called Ecclesiasticus. You said that they got incelly in the end. I have okay. got here. So <laughs> like, here's the thing. I, it goes into a lot of stuff about social justice, which I actually really, really liked. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, for people listening, we have so many tabs open right now. Just trying to <laughs> make sure we have all of our information straight but when it comes to like social justice it it's um ecclesiasticus uh four one through ten which is my child do not refuse the poor a livelihood do not tantalize the needy do not add to the sufferings of the hungry do not bait anyone in distress do not aggravate a heart already angry, nor keep the destitute waiting for your alms. Do not repulse a hard-pressed beggar, nor turn your face from the poor. And it keeps going on like that, which is like, oh, that's really cool. It's very similar to the teachings of Jesus. But then it gets into the women, and I don't even know where to start. Because um, again, it's weirdly in Selly. Um, so <laughs> chapter nine is, do not be jealous of the wife you love. Do not teach her lessons in how to harm you. Um Keep in mind, uh, I just want you all to picture like um, a neck beard wearing a fedora when you hear this. So (laughs) put yourself in a woman's hand or she may come to dominate you completely. Do not keep company with a prostitute in case you get entangled in her snares. Do not dally with a singing girl in case you get caught by her wiles. Do not stare at a pretty girl in in case you and she incur the same punishment. Do not give your heart to whores or you will ruin your inheritance. Uh... (laughs) And then there was, but wait, there is more. And there's like quite a few chapters of this. Um, My jaw is dropping right now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, And this is like, again, I think about um, people like Mike Pence, because it does go into like the don't sit with a woman that isn't your wife. Um, But okay. In not in um chapter 42 starting at verse 9 is unknown to her a daughter keeps her father awake the worry she gives him drives away his sleep in her youth in case she never marries married in case she should be disliked as a virgin in case she should be defiled and found with child in her father's house having a husband in case she goes astray married in case she should be sterile your daughter is headstrong keep a sharp lookout 
that she does not make you the laughing stock of your enemies, the talk of the town, the object of common gossip, and put you to public shame. Do not stare at any man for his good looks. Do not sit down with women, for moth comes out of cloth and women's spite out of woman. Better a man's spite than a woman's kindness. Women give rise to shame and reproach. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, I remember like once um, talking to like a queer Episcopal priest and she was like, yeah, someone was like quoting from probably that book. And she was like, I'm glad that the, <laughs> that the Apocrypha can't influence doctrine. <laughs> I know, geez. I, there is one verse that made me giggle. Um, so whenever anyone says like, oh, like respect your elders it says do not be ashamed to correct a stupid person or fool or an old dotard who bickers with young people then you will show yourself really educated and win the approval of everyone oh my god we need to post that on facebook (laughs) (laughs) which i think again i there are two ways of seeing that especially now after reading all of the incel stuff out loud where it's like it could be like a you know like don't take crap from older people but also like oh argue with people on the internet and they'll see that you're right um which i just think is very funny um but also apparently uh this book also really loves slavery as well um so (laughs) right it's uh yikes on trikes um let me see if I can. Wisdom in Ben Sarah's view is synonymous with the fear of God and sometimes is identified in the text with adherence to the Mosaic law. The maxims are expressed in exact formulas and are illustrated by striking images. They show a profound knowledge of the human heart, the disillusionment of experience, and a fraternal sympathy with the poor and the oppressed. By contrast, some people feel Sirach exhibits little compassion for either women or slaves. He advocates distrust and possessiveness over women and the harsh treatment of slaves, which presupposes the validity of slavery as an institution, positions which are not only difficult for modern readers, but cannot be completely reconciled with the social milieu at the time of its composition. Hmm. Also, weirdly enough, this book, like, explicitly mentions physicians. Hmm. Like, it mentions, like, going to the doctor because God created the doctor, which is, like, (laughs) thank you. Well, again, these texts were probably not, like, they were written again in in Common Era time and not um, before Common Era. Absolutely. It's just really fascinating to read. And it's like, oh, I'm glad some of that wasn't included. Because church already does not like women anyways. No need to add to that (laughs) Mm -hmm. let's talk about all of the maccabees books so i guess just guessing from the title i was like the story of hanukkah is like is like in here somewhere right because like i think it's in uh, the maccabean revolution i think it's the first maccabees is where um yeah it is um and yeah what's interesting yeah i guess most of the maccabees books are historical except for um fourth maccabees which is only considered canon i think in like actually i think it's not i think it's only ever in the appendix of certain like eastern orthodox bibles but it starts off with like philosophy and and wisdom but also honestly i mean it literally says like the sub the, it starts off with fourth maccabees the subject that i'm about to discuss is most philosophical that is whether pious reason is sovereign over the passions. And that just doesn't sound like the Bible. <laughs> that, yeah, no. <laughs> it sounds like Greek philosophy, which, you know, probably is because it was in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, yeah. And again, it's all fascinating stuff, but it's like, uh, I can see why maybe it wasn't included, but there is some good historical context. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there is also um, this, I don't know if you came across the story of Susanna in the book of Daniel. Oh, um, I just, I just mentioned, maybe you were too busy looking things up. I mentioned sorry. that there was Susanna in, I guess, the extended version of Daniel. Oh, you did mention Susanna, but yeah, the story of Susanna is basically similar to like um, David seeing Bathsheba on oh. the roof. <laughs> Um, so basically like she, oh, that's not good. Does she get raped? <laughs> she does not. Um, she does not. So it's, a, oh. I, I don't believe so. It said a fair Hebrew wife named Susanna was falsely accused by lecherous voyeurs as she bathes privately, having sent her attendants away in her locked and walled garden Two elders having previously said goodbye to each other, bump into each other again when they spy on her bathing. The two men realize they both lust for Susanna. When she makes her way back to her house, they accost her demanding she have sexual intercourse with them. When she refuses, they have her arrested claiming that the reason she sent her maids away was to be alone as she was having an intercourse with a young man under a tree. Um, and Daniel basically, like, during the proceedings to find out if Susanna was an adulteress, uh, Daniel kind of comes in and he shouts at the elders that they should be questioned to prevent the death of an innocent. Um, and says, so after being separated, the two men are cross-examined about details of what they saw, but disagree about the tree in which Susanna supposedly mm -hmm. met her lover. In the Greek text, the name of trees cited by the elders form puns with the sentences given by Daniel. The first says they were under a mastic tree, and Daniel says that an angel stands ready to cut him in two. The second says they were under an evergreen oak tree, and Daniel says that an angel stands ready to saw him in two. Which, again, I feel like in Hebrew, the puns will make a lot more sense. Yeah, um, yeah. The great difference in size between the mastic and oak tree makes the elders lie plain to all the observers, and then the false accusers are put to death. We love people who are women getting what they deserve. Exactly. I know. I'm like, oh, Susanna. Like, poor Susanna, but also, like, I'm glad that it doesn't have as um, tragic of an ending as Bathsheba on the roof. Because um, mm -hmm. that's off it's like an awful ending mm -hmm. um, i was wondering did you come across the book of judith uh no all right let me see the introduction um this comes from the united states conference of catholic bishops they have a lot of the apocryphal texts used in the catholic and orthodox church um it's basically a book that relates to the story of god's deliverance for the jewish people um and it's kind of Judith going to war um, against like the Assyrians, like the, like there's a like it's kind of understandable why Jonah has um, some bad blood between him and like the people of Nineveh because there a lot of the uh, non canonical texts go into how terrible of a place Nineveh was. Like it's never yeah. really, I guess, talked about. In There's, the like, a vague Bible? thing about, yeah. like, I don't know, like, it was a place of debauchery or something. Yeah. Or if you saw the VeggieTales um, movie, it is a place where people slap each other with fish. <laughs> um, um, let's see. Yeah, so Story of Judith is a daring and beautiful widow who is upset with her Jewish countrymen for not trusting God to deliver them from their foreign conquerors. And even reading this, she just sounds angry which you don't get that kind of anger from a woman typically in the Bible. So that mm -hmm. was like really cool to be able to read. Nice. Um, so she, she goes with her loyal maid to the camp of the enemy general Holofernes. I don't know if I pronounce H O L O F E R N E S oh. with 
whom she slowly ingratiates herself, promising him information on the Israelites. Gaining his trust, she is allowed access to his tent one night as he lies in a drunken stupor. She decapitates him, takes his head back to her fearful countrymen. The Assyrians, having lost their leader, disperse and Israel is saved. Though she's courted by many, Judith remains unmarried for the rest of her life. That's a jail-level badass man taking right? that guy's head. <laughs> and let me know, when you look up Book of Judith, the first painting that comes up is Judith holding the head of the guy. And the maid behind her looking a that little has bit to terrified. Be a part of the Instagram post. Like, oh my gosh, please. It has, yes. But yeah, Judith was kind of a badass. Um, and there was even like, ex- there was kind of an explicit painting created in 1901 where, th- like, it shows her like nude and it kind of plays on that sort of female sexuality that she probably had to use to decapitate this guy, which is, again, not. You get like you kind of get the story of like Deborah and JL in Judges, but like we need more badass women chopping heads off and stabbing people, doing doing things to shitty patriarchal figures in the Bible. Cause like I was yes. like, What? This is so cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can pivot to talking about the other kind of apocrypha. Mm-hmm. So um, in like early, or I guess in shortly after Jesus's time, there were a lot of like Christian influential texts that were going around, you know, not just Paul's letters, not just the gospels, well, the, the gospels that we, we know and reread in the Bible, there were other gospels and there were other, there were other books of Acts, there were other apocalypse texts even. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, some of them have stood the test of time to be able to be translated into English um so we're going to talk about some of those yeah no it was interesting um also I want to say that one of the videos that I used for research on these particular books was a channel um called Wendy Goon he's on YouTube and I've seen his other videos and stuff before and it's a almost two-hour video called The Lost Books of the Bible. I love deep dives. Oh my god, I can't wait for this. Yeah, and it's, um, he doesn't go, again, he doesn't go into the Apocrypha from the Catholic and Orthodox Church, though he does hint at maybe making a video of that in the future, but he goes through the, more of the New Testament of the infancy, the passion, the epistles, and miscellaneous, and then divides it all um, into three groups into either historical, fan fiction, or blasphemy. Um, So, and again, it's kind of a good way to, because again, it's a lot to chew on. It's a good way to kind of get started um, if you're interested in learning more about the non-canonical gospels. So the the non-canonical gospels include the gospel of Marcion, the gospel of Manny, the gospel of Apelles, Barden, Saints, um, gospel, of Tom, like gospel of, of Peter. There are a lot of gospels. <laughs> gospel of Bartholomew. Gospel of Book of Thomas. There's gospel also specifically of... there are things called infancy gospels, which talk about Jesus as a kid because we don't have that okay. in the canonical gospels. Okay, but here's the thing. Like, <laughs> I think uh, in the video, Wendy Good puts this as blasphemy, but it's some of it sounds so much like fan fiction and like weird <laughs> self inserts that I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So one of the stories that I came across or that he was talking about is that uh, Judas, um, Judas Iscariot, you know, the betrayer, he was a biter as a kid. 
which I mean totally makes sense you know <laughs> like there was this really funny. annoying um there was this really annoying kid on my block as a kid I mean we you know we made up and became friends later but she did in fact bite me like she bit my arm god <laughs> and again it's like the thing of either like Judas was an asshole or Judas was like the kind of neurodivergent where it's like I don't know how to self-soothe I need to bite things but like they put him as like being possessed by a demon and so he goes and bites people and he gets out of his parents grasp one day and he bites the baby jesus and when he bites jesus he is healed um and then at the end they're like the person that was the biter was judas who would later betray <laughs> jesus and it was like what <laughs> that does feel so fan fiction my guy again also, it's just very so, i mean like honestly yeah maybe like i mean when you look at the intensity gospels it kind of makes sense why they didn't like actually write about like the canonical gospels didn't include text about jesus as a child because like they're just kind of scary and weird like jesus like curses children and the response is that they die jesus literally like makes children die in these texts <laughs> yeah there's like there's a whole story where i guess like the jesus and his buds were all playing on a roof together as kids and one of the kids fell off mm-hmm. and everyone blames jesus for it they're like because i guess jesus is kind of an asshole um and like jesus did it jesus did it. he's like i didn't do it i can prove it to you he brings the kid back to life just so the kid can say jesus didn't do it i fell <laughs> Yeah, I guess even though John said that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, these these people wrote texts about Jesus doing all kinds of other things, like even creating um, sparrows out of clay. Um, Yeah, yeah. and I'm like looking through right now, and a lot of this comes from the Gospel of Thomas. Um, He also brings to life um, dried fish. Uh, He there. Oh yeah, so. Three miracles. This reverses his earlier acts. Uh, this would include resurrecting two boys and healing the blind parents. Like, there's more. Like, he resurrects a couple of kids. Uh, resurrects a friend who fell from a roof. Heals a man who chopped his foot with an axe. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the three miracles of carries water on cloth, produces feast from a single grain, and stretches beams of wood to help his father finish constructing a bed. He also heals snake from James, James from snake poison, resurrects a child who died of illness, and resurrects a man who dies in a construction accident. Um, also, I found this infancy gospel where, like, Jesus's, like, first words as a baby are this gigantic speech. I'm gonna try to find it again. Oh, yeah. Again, I, I, I heard about that one, and it gave that, like, energy of, like, a fake Tumblr story where it's, like, and the whole train applauded. Like, where it's, like, and Jesus was a baby. He sat up, gave a speech, and then became a baby again. Also, Wait, okay, I gotta find uh, it. Also on Wikipedia, there is like this old medieval artwork called The Children Complain About Jesus to Adult Jews. <laughs> it's just these like four kids that are all pointing at Jesus who has a halo and holding a stick in his hand and the adults just look angry. Hold on, I'm going to send this to you on Facebook right now because this might have to go in the Instagram post. Okay, and when he was lying in his cradle, he said to Mary's mother, I am Jesus, the son of God, the Logos, whom thou hast brought forth. As the angel Gabriel announced to thee, and my father has sent me for the salvation of the world. Um, <laughs> wait, is it still him talking? Wait, oh maybe not. But still, that's just like Jesus in the cradle saying that. Like, I, that's a very high Christology for Jesus to immediately speak as a baby, saying that he is the Son of God. <laughs> and you know what's very interesting too is some of these stories are in the Quran as well, because 
um, mm-hmm. for people that don't know, Jesus is still a very important figure in Islam as well. Like yeah, Jesus is basically, yeah, he's basically second to Muhammad. Um, so some of these stories are included in the Quran. Um, let's see. So we're talking about something. Oh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Um, yeah. Most of it has been lost, but there are there is like basically these little excerpts that we have of it. And um, I think the most interesting part of it is when Peter is like getting mad at Mary. Let me find it. Um, Peter questioned, or wait, let's see. Oh yeah, Peter questioned them about the savior. Did he really speak privately with a woman and not openly to us? Are we to turn about and all listen to her? Did he, he prefer her to us? Then Mary wept and said to Peter, my brother Peter, what do you think? Do you think that I have thought this up myself in my heart or that I am lying about the savior? Levi answered and said to Peter, Peter, you have always been hot-tempered. Hot take, I agree. (laughs) That's not even a hot take. That's just just accurate. No, Uh, I see you contending against the woman like the adversaries. But if the Savior made her worthy, who are you indeed to reject her? Surely the Savior knows her very well. Yeah, that is why he loved her more than us. Rather, let us be ashamed and put on the perfect man and separate as he commanded us and preach the gospel, not laying down uh, any other rule or other law beyond what the Savior said. And when they heard this, they began to go forth to, to proclaim and to preach because Mary had this like whole, okay, yeah, Mary had this whole like sort of knowledge that she was giving the disciples and particularly this is from a very like Gnostic perspective. So the language is specifically like it is, it is intentionally vague because part of um, Gnosticism, which was an early sort of Christian movement that was deemed to be heretical um, by, yeah. I guess, the like Catholic church. Um it, it was all about finding the secret knowledge of Jesus. And so, like, a lot of these Gnostic texts can be vague because it's, like, you have to have, like, the secret knowledge of Jesus to be able to understand them. Um, and also, uh, it has very much a rigid dualism of mind-body, material-spiritual. You know, it's, like, the body is bad, spirit is good. Um, Paul did not help with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, Paul, because I mean, part of me like reads Paul and I'm like, aren't you? Isn't this also Gnosticism? But okay, Catholic Church, you said it's bad, but. <laughs> yeah. And it's again, um, it's interesting because it like, this is what happens at the resurrection as well. Like the men do not believe mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene or um, any of the other women that were present to see Jesus after rising from the dead. So it like checks out. Like I would not be shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just love that line where Levi's like, Peter, you have a bad temper. So. <laughs> Which is just funny. That's really <laughs> funny to me. Also notes mm-hmm. very interesting too, is in the uh, Syriac infancy gospel, um, it's believed, and this is just a tiny thing, but it also kind of, again, makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's the one, the, I believe the Syriac one that I, that's the one I read from where Jesus, like, says. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, um, but it's interesting because one thing that's point pointed out is that, like, the three Magi were probably Zoroastrian, mm, which mm-hmm. was an, a Persian religion at the time. Um it still has the tiniest bit of a following today, but it's kind of considered an ancient mm-hmm. religion, which again, it's just like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. It's just another another thing. There's also a history of Joseph the Carpenter. Um, there's also 
belief. We, is, I wonder if there's anything that, like, talks about what happened to Joseph, because he just, he's only in the beginning, like, at Jesus' birth and Jesus at age 12, and then he's, like, never seen again. Like, so it's, <laughs> it, it's interesting, because it weirdly talks about Mary quite a bit. Um, basically, it's about whether or not Mary continued to be a virgin or not. Um, hmm. after... No wonder the Catholic Church didn't want that in there because yeah and so no but it's interesting because like particularly in this um history of joseph the carpenter uh again they agree with the virginity of mary and proclaims that joseph had four sons and two daughters from a previous marriage which would become jesus's siblings hmm. and then joseph's but death previous, up a substantial- that brings into all sorts of other weird things like yeah because yeah, it's interesting because I remember, like in in the Bible or in the canonical Gospels, it says that like you know once Joseph found out that Mary's pregnant, he was like, "Oh, should I still be with her?" But if he had like children from a previous marriage, yeah, yeah, he also would be in a position of like I don't know disgrace in their society too. Um, mm-hmm. And it also says that um, wife, but. It doesn't really go into the base to like a lot of um it doesn't go into a whole lot of like Joseph's life. So basically it kind of paraphrases the Gospel of James. Um and then it kind of stops at the point of Jesus's birth and then it basically says Joseph was miraculously blessed with mental and physical youth dying at the age of 111. Um and then Joseph's death takes up a substantial portion of the text and he lets out a significant prayer, including his last words, a series of lamentations about his carnal sins. About 50% of the work is an extension of the death scene in which the angel of death, as well as the archangels, Michael and Gabriel, appear to him. And at the conclusion of the text, Jesus affirms that Mary remained a virgin throughout her days by addressing her as my mother, virgin, undefiled. The text says, and the holy apostles have preserved this conversation and have left it written down in the library at Jerusalem. Which, again, seems kind of fanficy to me. Where it's like, again, it's, I feel like it was written to appease the Mary is a virgin fandom. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, Jesus said it in this. (laughs) Which is so weird. Um, let's see. Xing out the tabs that I don't need anymore. Um, oh, let's talk about the acts of Paul and Thecla. Yeah. Is it Thecla or Thecla? Uh, I don't know. Doesn't matter. It's it's fine. (laughs) uh, Thecla is this young virgin girl who um, is swept up by Paul's message, which, you know, has a lot to do with virginity for some reason. It's kind of weird. Crazy. (laughs) Paul talking about virgins and sex and marriage? (laughs) Insane. Um, well, so, um just like parts of the he basically does his own sort of like weird beatitudes thing um paul went to the house of onisiphorus uh and he was like in prayer breaking bread and hearing paul preach the word of god concerning temperance and the resurrection in the falling manner um well first the first one is like straight up from one of the gospels blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god um blessed are they who keep their flesh undefiled for they shall be the temple of god Blessed are the temperate, for God will reveal himself to them. Blessed are they that abandon their secular enjoyments, for they shall be accepted of God. 
blessed are they who have wives as though they had them not. So I guess, like, don't have sex with your wives. Paul was a salty asexual. (laughs) For they shall be made angels of God. Um, Again, mostly just focusing on the things that are referring to virginity here. Um, Blessed are they who for the love of Christ abandon the glories of the world. For they shall judge angels and be placed at the right hand of Christ and shall not suffer the bitterness of the last judgment. Blessed are the bodies and souls of virgins. For they are acceptable to God and shall not lose the reward of their virginity. For the word of their father shall prove effectual to their salvation in the day of his son, and they shall enjoy rest forevermore. Um, and Thecla, for some reason, is hearing this and is just like, um, she, uh, yeah, she just like keeps listening and isn't able to like leave hearing um, Paul. And then there's this guy, um, who was is supposed to marry Thecla, but then Thecla's like, no, I'm not going to marry you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, T- Tamaris, I guess, is the guy, and he's, like, sad losing the spouse. And I think, yeah, basically Thecla goes with Paul, and this is very much of a bridge version. I'm mostly just skimming over this. Um, and I remember, like, part of me is, like, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I swear to God, I read, like, an even more wild version where, like, she, like, I know she got does go through some shit in what I'm reading here. But, she goes, I know, um, I'm like reading through it. It's like she goes through about like four different deaths. Like first she's like and she just saved every time. Yeah, like so like stripped naked, Thecla was put on the fire but was saved when God sent a miraculous storm to put out the flames. Um Thecla was sentenced to be eaten by wild beasts. To ensure that her virtue would be intact at her death, Queen Antonia Trifania took her into protective custody. Um, she was tied to a fierce lioness and paraded through the city. Again, she was stripped naked, thrown into the arena where the lioness protected her from a bear and died while killing a lion that belonged to Alexander, who I think was a guy that was trying to um, get with her. Mm-hmm. Um, believing in that day that the arena would be her last chance to baptize herself, Thecla jumped into a vat of water and mm-hmm. contained that contained ravenous seals or sea calves in some versions of the story. Seals are just, so sweet. Um, a, a miracle killed all the seals by lightning before they could eat her. Further miracles occurred during Thecla's trial. Oh, right, that was the wildest part. I was like, yeah. in like a bath with like ravenous seals and then thunder killed them. Like I just, I just think of like derpy seals that were turned ravenous. I'm like, what? no, not made, made of seals. But again, even like further miracles, when perfumes of the women in the arena hypnotized the wild beasts so they wouldn't hurt her and Fire spared her from raging bulls. Thecla was freed when Queen Trifena fainted and Alexander begged the governor for mercy, believing that the queen was dead. The governor heard Thecla speak about the Christian God and ordered her clothed and released into the rejoicing women of the city. So again, she is just, she is just cheating death left and right. Like, yeah. Like if this, this is true, God truly has been a Christian persecution thing, except she doesn't get martyred. It's interesting. This is like not a martyrdom story. It's a conquering like persecution story. Yeah. And again, she is canonized in the Catholic church. She is a saint. um, And she is considered the patron saint. So Thecla is sometimes counted as the patron saint of Tarragona in Catalonia, which is in Spain. And there's a cathedral dedicated to her Um, in Spanish. Oh, this is interesting. In Spanish-speaking countries, she is also facetiously, oh my god, facetiously. Facetiously. I just had a moment. I'm sorry. How is it spelled? uh, F-A-C-E-T-I-O-U-S-L-Y. Oh, facetiously, which means like kind of 
Yeah, like, you know. I know the word. I think my brain just turned into goo seeing it written out. Um, so she's also counted facetiously as the patron saint of computers and internet from the homophony with the Spanish and Catalan word tecla, which is key. Hmm. Oh, huh. Funny. Which is just very funny. I'm like, that's so funny. <laughs> we love our patron saint of the internet. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, well, yeah, and I mean... Reading the story, yeah, I mean, probably, like, this didn't actually um, happen to her. Thecla might not even, Thecla may, it might even come from this story, but. <laughs> yeah, and um, again, it's just, it's interesting that none of this is mentioned, because again, it's that thing of, like, a woman being in power of some kind, and a woman kind of being seen as sort of divine, in a way, and being mm-hmm. canonized. Um, and again, I think that is a, very much a Protestant um sort of thing where it's just like oh we can't show this woman being in power which sucks because i love learning about these different scenes i love learning about these different stories mm-hmm. um right now i'm also looking at the gospel of judas which is supposed to be like this is wild it's supposed to be um a secret message of judgment jesus spoke with judas iscariot over a period of eight days three days before he celebrated passover whoa yeah um and it was the gospel of judas yeah oh there it is yeah according to the text judas is the only one of jesus's disciples who accurately understands the words of his master Hmm. this gospel contains few narrative elements essentially the gospel records how judas was taught by jesus the true meaning of his message see this is something that sounds kind of fanficy as well (laughs) Like we gotta write our. Judas like, wasn't bad, actually. I know, like he wasn't. Like, he's he's just a soft boy, who really understood the message of Jesus, which, at the beginning of time, God created a group of angels and lower gods. Twelve angels were willed to come into being to rule over chaos and the underworld. The angels of creation were tasked with creating a physical body for Adamus who became known as Adam. Gradually, humanity began to forget its divine origins and some of Adam's descendants became embroiled in the world's first murder, uh, Cain and Abel. Many humans came to think that the imperfect physical universe was the totality of creation, losing their knowledge of God and the imperishable realm. Okay, this sounds like the, this sounds like the, narr- the creation narrative of Scientology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because in Scientology, and this is something you don't learn until you've paid like tens of thousands of dollars near the higher levels, but it's kind of similar is that like we are all like these beings that were destroyed by this guy named Xenu and the scientists come back to earth and they have forgotten their divine power but as they go through Scientology they're able to remember more and more and learn about body thetans which keeps them connected to this world like that's just the vibe I was getting off of it mm-hmm. yeah Again, like, like some like the forgetting... stuff also like looking at I was actually looking at like there's like a modern gnostic church that has like a catechism and i was looking at it and they just use these like really weird words like so yeah and like the gnostics were much more um, uh, like there was a lot more mysticism with the gnostics mm -hmm. um also i actually have an internship meeting at like three so we might have to just go to like high of the week right now (laughs) gotcha and the thing is this is an interesting topic and we can absolutely come back to it Mm mm-hmm in the future because yeah so i hope y'all part two yeah so i hope y'all enjoyed that um part one so far um i definitely want to keep doing research and we'll include um links to all of our research and videos and stuff um so you can learn more if you'd like to 
So I guess let's go into high of the week. Was your seeing Barbie? It was. Okay, I have two highs of the week and I'll make it quick. One, my partner and I did what we called the toy aisle date. So we saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Barbie on the same night and they were both great. Barbie made me cry. It was wonderful. Um, It was just fun. Like, I feel like it's truly brought the country together. Um, I'd say the second highlight of my week. Except for, you know, Ben Shapiro. Except for Ben. Ben Shapiro has never um, pleased his wife before and it shows because he talks about it. Um... (laughs) Oopsies. Um, I'd say the other high of my week is there's an organization um, called Galas, um, which is an organization for LGBTQ plus Armenians. And for people that don't know, I'm half Armenian. Everyone knows I'm 100% gay, though. And they were hosting a market of um, different food and art projects and being able to just like support that community. And it was just really cool to be surrounded by people who kind of fall into these different identities especially armenian because it's again it's that thing of like years hundreds of years like of just oppression both through like genocide soviet union and that whole sort of thing and it's like we're here and thriving and sadly um again armenians from the evangelical faith background are kind of homophobic and it's really Mm -hmm. cool to be like oh no we're still here and it was Mm -hmm. awesome also i met an artist who um was more in the Armenian Orthodox church. And so I was able to get some really cool, like religious prints and Ooh, stickers. And it was cool. just, it was just really cool. It was awesome. Um, nice for me. Um, I think, um, I guess I've been having some little, little adventures in Seattle. I, I went down to this um, place last week called uh, Beanfish, which is attached to like this Japanese grocery store um, to get taiyaki, which is like these fish-shaped waffles that have all yes, kinds of fillings. Yes, I love taiyaki. Yeah, I had one that was basically like a breakfast sandwich filling in a taiyaki. Egg, bacon, tater tots, cheese. It was so good. And then I also had oh, a custard-filled one. That sounds so um, good. Yes. Um, also got my books for fall term from a local bookstore, so that was nice too. Um, yeah, so I guess next episode we're going to be um, interviewing our friend Chalin. How do you pronounce his last name? I don't want to fuck that up. Um, <laughs> we can his last name is spelled A L E O N G, um, and he's one of our dear friends. We met him in person at conference this past year, and we're excited to be able to chat with him and hear more of his story. Yeah, well, onto the plug. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you soon.